Let's, let's pray together before we begin our study. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week we're going to focus on one verse from the Torah portion. It's in Numbers chapter 31, verse 8. So you can turn there and get yourself ready. In this week's Torah readings, we're pretty much concluding the, the saga of Balaam. Balaam is his actual name, but in the south, you know how to say. You say it right, Balaam. Balaam, yeah, get it right. So Balaam, as we read this week, is held accountable. He was the one who was intent on cursing Israel for money. And when that didn't work, he didn't give up and he came up with a plan to seduce Israel into sexual immorality and idolatry, to spiritual rebellion, as the scripture says. And this week we read that he's held accountable for what he did. He was determined to be not only the mastermind behind this plan, but he was held to be legally and personally culpable for the destruction and for the death that he caused. Because of his plan, which was successful, thousands of people died. Thousands upon thousands died. And he was held accountable for Israel breaking faith with the Lord. And it cost him his life. That's what we read in Numbers chapter 31, verse 8. It says it very simply that Bilam, the son of Beor, was killed by the sword. And this was an act of accountability from the Lord. The Lord was rendering a final judgment that this man was responsible for the destruction of many, many thousands and tens of thousands of lives, and it would cost him his life. And so this chapter unfolds, this story unfolds, and we see this terrible period. Some people have difficulty when they read about this, imagining, imagining why is this even in the Bible, but I, I can tell you something. It, it tells us that though God is a God of shalom, he's also a God who will protect. And he's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice. If you were being held hostage by a terrorist, you would want someone courageous to come in and rescue you, would you not? If someone had a gun to your head, you'd be happy if there was a skilled marksman nearby. Not an amateur. Not somebody who thought, well, you know, I'm going to get a license to carry. You know, and they're... <laughs> no, you would be happy for someone who's courageous, who's trained, who's disciplined, and who's experienced and knows what to do in such a situation. During the time of Hitler, his victims were looking for someone to rescue them. 
They were looking for justice. The victims of Stalin, of Mao, of Pol Pot, of Idi Amin, of ISIS, were hoping that someone would care enough to rescue them, that someone who had the power and the ability would do something. And so it was in this situation, there were people who were desperate, who, who understood there's a scourge that will end in the total annihilation of Israel the faithful people of God, and then there will be no one on the face of the earth who's faithful. And so this day of reckoning was not because of cruelty or being primitive, it was because there was, there was a God who cared, who was willing to rescue and put an end to such terrible things. And I can tell you that according to our modern sensibilities, we probably would not have wanted to live then any more than you would want to have lived in Syria in the last 10 years, or in Iraq, or Afghanistan, or some of the other places that are so difficult. But the scripture actually tells us things about the past so that we can understand the present and we can know something more about life. Future writers would look back and they would conclude Balaam was evil and he had a specific evil about him. The Apostle Peter says, Balaam, son of Beor, loved to earn money by doing wrong. He had a spiritual side to him, yes, and there were moments when he when he even tried to draw close to God and have fellowship with God. But he was evil. And ultimately, that is the pronouncement that the apostles make about him. He loved the wages of wickedness. And so, if, if you think about pimps, or you think about people involved in human trafficking, that's the wages of wickedness. Do you understand? People who would sell another for money. Judah, Jude, joins Balaam with Cain and Korah and considers them all to be cut from the same cloth, if you will. They're all evil. They're all filled with rebellion. They all, like Balaam, Jude says, deceived people for money. Worse than being con men. They were trying to earn their living through deception, even though it cost other people their lives. And thus they were guilty, not just of common evil, but of capital offenses against many. So it's important to pay attention to that. But what really caught my attention as I was reading this account and the, the several weeks that it takes to unfold the whole story about Balaam, was this question, what makes, what makes us vulnerable to turning away from God? Because thousands of people, thousands of people in Israel turned away from God. They were seduced into the sexual immorality and the spiritual rebellion, and, and that question really occupied me. What makes us vulnerable? Because if we don't know what makes us vulnerable, that kind of thing can happen to us. Maybe not the same thing, but something like it. 
And I was thinking about this, I, and I can't say that I came up with all the answers or a definitive model for analyzing these things, but I, I did spend some time thinking about it. And, and when Becky was reading the Haftor portion today, it put into words what I was thinking about the, the first condition that can make religious people vulnerable. And that's, let me see if I can describe it this way. That's engaging in religious behavior and being religiously active, but never having had a life-transforming experience that results in repentance and humility before God. And so people can be very religiously active and have no relationship with God, and these people are in a constant state of vulnerability. Now that's not my assessment, that's Jeremiah's assessment. But I'm just trying to give voice to it in the, in the Haftor portion, chapter two of Jeremiah, verses seven and eight. The Lord says to Israel, I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and you made my heritage an abomination. And then look at the four religiously active groups of people that are identified. The priest didn't say, where is the Lord? And those who handled the Torah did not even know me. And the shepherds transgressed against me and the prophets prophesied by Baal. And they walked after things that are worthless. So Jeremiah puts into words this powerful statement that you could, you could be a professional religious person, not an amateur. and be spiritually bankrupt and corrupt. And you could go through all the motions and before God, your religious behavior means nothing. Serious, so anyone in that condition is in a constant state of vulnerability because the vulnerability is I have gotten to a place of rightness with God through my religious behavior and activity, and yet on God's part, nothing's changed. The person's far away. Even worse, they are leading others far away who follow in their footsteps. That's a dangerous place to be. Anybody can fall into it. And if you think that you can't, you haven't read something in the Bible that says all temptation is common to people. It's common. It's not like some people have no temptation. I mean, maybe you're tempted by chocolate, or maybe you're tempted by coffee, or maybe you're tempted by tequila. But if you say, well, I'm not tempted by coffee. That doesn't mean you're not tempted by anything. 
Everyone's tempted by certain things. We're all vulnerable. So I was thinking then about other causes of vulnerability, and, and one of the ones that really got my attention this week is, is this, that when we're disappointed in the Lord because of the way he's working, that can make us vulnerable. It can cause us to, to look for power from other sources, where we say, you know, I thought the Lord was the answer. And then you decide, nah, better to try something else. Maybe you mix some stuff up into your spiritual life that's, that's really unholy. Or maybe you go after unholy things or forbidden things. Or maybe you align yourself with other people and other methods trying to find power because God is not showing up the way you want him to. And I can imagine that there, there are times when people just feel like they have gotten to the end of everything. They've gotten to the end of their strength. They've waited not only a long time, but too long, and they have no more power to keep going. And so in that condition, sometimes people slip into this desperation that, that they think can only be resolved, can only be resolved by giving in to desperation and, and giving up, by learning to go in a totally different direction. And you might not think that's possible for you or someone else, but Paul said it happened to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he said, we were under such great pressure that was far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. We didn't think we could keep living. And maybe some of you have been in that situation. It's not that you wanted to give up, it's that you had nothing left with which to keep going. And things had been so hard for so long that you just imagined that your only solution, the only way you could deal with the pain is, is just to end everything at your own hand. Paul took his despair and instead of just succumbing to it, he processed it with the Lord. That's a key. There are times when you may feel like you don't have any more strength. And there's a reason. You don't have any more strength. But that doesn't mean that you don't have options. And one of the options that you have is to come before the Lord in your weakness and say, I am empty, I have nothing, I have no power, I can't do it. And in your weakness, he will take you. You may have slipped, you may have fallen, and you think, I can't even get myself back up. 
But every week, when we're chanting the Amidah, we are proclaiming that we serve a God, Somech Noflim, who lifts up the falling. And so when you find yourself in that condition where you can't get yourself back up, it doesn't mean that there's no solution. It's that your solution is in God, that God can lift you up. You may have a time when you think you can't hold on any longer, and it's true, you can't. And that's when you have to know something. He can hold you when you can't hold him. Last night... I was reminded of a joke that an Israeli told us in Jerusalem one year during Sukkot. And he said there was a secular Israeli. He identified himself as atheist. He was out hiking in the mountains and got to a steep mountain, got a little too close to the edge of the cliff and his foot slipped, and he started sliding down the mountain. And he cried out, ah, help! He even cried out as he was falling to the God he didn't believe in. (laughs) And lo and behold, a tree branch catches him. He holds on to it. He's hanging off the cliff, holding on. And he says, oh God, oh God, help me, help me. This is the atheist, the secular Israeli crying out to God. And the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord said, I will help you. Let go of the branch. (laughs) The Israeli said it this way, leave the branch. And the guy said, if I let go, I'll fall. And the Lord said, don't worry, I'll catch you. And the guy said, but what what if you don't? And the Lord said, look, I already saved you. Let go, I'll catch you. The guy thinks about it. And he cries out, help! Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> you know, there are more. That's a, that's a true joke from uh, a wonderful Israeli professor who told us. There are times when God is wanting to save us, and it's so hard to even believe he can and that he will, but that's what it means for him to be our savior to be our deliverer, to rescue us, to protect us. And there are times when you can't save yourself, but he can save you. And when you get to that place of weakness and you get to that place of emptiness, when you have no more, that doesn't mean it's all over. It means your strength is over. It means you've come to the limits of your ability, but not his ability. And in his mercy, in his strength, You can find your salvation. Some people make a trade 
with themselves. They're willing to trade their faithfulness to God for something they think will bring immediate results. Sometimes people will make an escape clause for their faith. And they'll say, if God does this or he doesn't do this, then I'm out of here. If one more person says this or does that, I'm, I'm finished. And that's an escape clause. That's saying, you know what? There's a limit to how much I'm willing to go on with God, how far. And that's a vulnerable condition. If you're in that condition, if you've been entertaining your escape clauses, then it means you're very vulnerable. There are times when, when people prefer to fellowship with other people whose faith has not stood up, who are disappointed and alienated from God and people. I encourage you, if you've been fellowshipping with people who are just so disappointed in God and organized religion and everything else, that'll feed your soul. And you'll become more and more like that. If, if you fellowship mainly with people whose faith has not stood up, then yours won't stand up either. It's so important to fellowship with people who have been through the fire, who have been through the floods, who have been through difficulties and challenges, not who, the kind of people who say it's all going to be fine, because it's not all fine. You already know that. But people who have been through it and seen God's mercy and power even when they had neither in their own lives. Better to fellowship with them. But we have a long list of people we're praying for, and I want to review with you some of them and some of the stories and the progress and the challenges ahead so that we can actually pray. Because part of being in a congregation in a community of faith is that you stand with people who need help. And you offer to others even what you need yourself. If you need encouragement, you try to encourage others. If you need hope, you find cause for other people to be hopeful. And then you can preach to yourself as well. So Yaffa Finelt had brain surgery this week. Serious brain surgery, a tumor at her pituitary gland that required that she go to a specialist out of town. And he gave her two options for how he could do the surgery. And the way she told it to me was kind of funny, but I've embellished it. He said the first option is he could go through the eye. And so she chose door number two. <laughs> which was through the nose. And after her surgery and after she came out of you know, the recovery room, she texted me, so I knew she was doing okay. And, and she wrote Rabbi Yuri and me something simple like this. He got out all the bad and left all the good intact. <laughs> and so, um, we're happy for that. But during her recovery process, she's got headaches, as you can imagine. 
and nosebleeds, as you can imagine. And so we're praying for a good recovery for her. It's roughly a two-week process there at the hospital uh, before she can travel. But we're rejoicing. And she's so grateful for every one of you who has been praying for her. And she has felt the love of God, the love of people, and the presence of Yeshua in her life in a way that's just so powerful and so important. Now, the, the next one I, I want to update you on is just fascinating. And so fascinating, I had to clarify it like three different times to get it right. But we prayed for Jane Dando last week because she was going into the hospital this week in order to deal with some issues around um, her heart, serious issues with AFib and, and uh, problems with her heart rhythm and so serious. And uh, they were gonna do this procedure at the hospital so, um, so here's what happened. She's in, I'm, I'm gonna read what Bill said. Bill, Bill, stand up and just wave to everybody so that they can rejoice. So this morning, Bill put it like this. Her heart was going like, something like that. And then it was, in words, it was like this. In pre-op, just before her heart procedure, Jane's heart returned to normal sinus rhythm. The procedure was canceled. She's resting comfortably. God is good and pretty amazing sometimes too. Thanks for the prayers. <laughs> so I, I wrote back, Bill, does that mean she doesn't need the procedure? And he wrote, does not N-O-T need the procedure. They canceled it because her heart rhythm is normal. So the atrial fibrillation is healed without procedural intervention. Interestingly, they were going to move her procedure up to the to yesterday when he wrote me, but they couldn't get her sedated, so they canceled it and moved it to the next day. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, like, I need eye surgery, and I said to the Lord, if you're still serving something like that, you know, I'm, I'll take some of that. And I've told people, keep praying for me because I'm good all the way up into any moment. I'm, I'm okay even if the doctor, the retina specialist has started to do his work and he says, well, well, well wait a minute. It's not there anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'll be happy for that. Or any time earlier than that is also fine with me. And, and then Gary Durham's honorary granddaughter, Haley, 20-year-old, who is having life-threatening heart problems. She went into the hospital. The doctors determined that she needed a pacemaker, but before they could install the pacemaker, they had to do two ablations in the heart. They did those, and before they could do the pacemaker, her heart settled and was so stable, they realized she doesn't need a pacemaker. 
And so after one day, then the next, they let her out of the hospital. So here's a 20-year-old young one who, you know, whose life was in danger. And she's out and about now. So that's awesome, isn't it? And Eric had his gallbladder removed. And while he was still under pain medication, he was like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> and as it wore off, you know, some of the side effects of the anesthesia, the whole process of, you know, that kind of invasive surgery uh, started showing up with pain. But though he has to monitor, he has to be deliberate about how he breathes and how long he stands and how long he sits and all that other stuff, um, he's alive and well. And so we're rejoicing. Now having said that, I'm sure there are some people who are saying, well, what about me? Why didn't I get my breakthrough? Why didn't, not what about Rabbi David, but what about yourself? You know, why didn't you get the miracle that they got? And I want to encourage you not to get stuck in that. If there's a reason why you didn't get it, very rarely do people who ask that question want to hear the reason. <laughs> and you can find out. I mean, if you say, Lord, is there something that I haven't done? He may answer you. In which case you may say, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> and you don't want to be in that position. So make sure that you're on target with the Lord. But the, the other thing is, God works the way he works. He has wisdom far beyond ours. But we can offer up our sorrow, we can offer up our hopelessness as a sacrifice to him. And we can say, I don't have anything else to give you but this. But I give it to you. And it's important to remember what Isaiah said, that he gives beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for, for mourning right? And the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You see, there are times when the only thing you can give to the Lord is your own desperateness, your own hopeless despair. But it's not fully hopeless because you're giving it to the Lord. And he makes an exchange and he says, well, I'm taking your sorrow and I'm going to give you the oil of joy. I'm gonna take that heaviness that's been over you, I'm gonna give you the garment of praise. He makes exchanges for us. You wanna make sure you deal with the right Lord. But this is the Redeemer who promises to do this. But when someone else gets a breakthrough that you were hoping for and you didn't get the same kind of breakthrough, this is what to do. Thank the Lord for their breakthrough. Rejoice in everyone who gets victory of any kind and stand with everyone who's still waiting and be a comfort for those who need comfort and your strength will increase, your power will increase, your compassion will increase. Once uh, when Sandy and I were living in Kiev, a group of young people were coming to a conference there and, and they came over they were from Chernoff City, they came to our house and they wanted us to pray for them that for whatever, and I stopped them, I said, listen, you need to pray for me because I don't have any more love 
I've to give out. I'm giving all I've got. I'm at the end of my capacity. I just don't have any more. And they were sort of shocked. You know, we thought you could pray for us. I said, no, yeah, you pray for me. I don't have any more room in my heart for any more people with needs. <laughs> now, seriously, I was honest with them. And so they started praying for me, for my heart to increase. And it helped, it made a difference. I'm glad I asked, I'm glad I told them the truth. Because it helped me avoid that generic prayer. Oh Lord, you know what they need. <laughs> and under your breath you're saying, I don't and I don't care. <laughs> don't pray like that, be honest. If you need more from the Lord, ask for it. There are others who, who need our prayer support. Craig Wagner has serious health concerns. Mike Gordon, who's recovering from his uh, stroke and heart attack, uh, is about to begin occupational therapy in order to rebuild strength and capacity. Susan Fisk, as well, needs continued support. Bob Cregan, Carol's husband, is... Uh, recovering from aspirated pneumonia and complications, and he really needs breakthroughs. Chris Dorman is uh, still suffering pain from the shingles. Uh, Florence Wood is, Woods is recovering from extensive oral surgery. I'm about to have my eye surgery July 25th. You can make a note for that. We were looking at uh, post-op instructions and one said, you'll have to wear an eye patch. And Sandy said, oh no, that means you're gonna be talking more pirate. <laughs> it's like, that's a negative side effect. <laughs> but I, I want you to join me in praying for those folks. And before you do, let me tell you something that happened last night. I went to my office before services in order to, uh, to get my Bible, and I was coming out of the office, and there was a snake coiled up in my doorway. So um, I must have like either walked right over it when I went in, but the door swung over where it was. I, I can't explain it. And my vision is a little fuzzy right now. So I couldn't tell it was a snake. But, I mean, it was, like, <laughs> but it was coiled up, and it could have been venomous. I couldn't tell. So I, I sent a picture to Rabbi Yuri, and then he got Gary Durham, who was here last night, and I incorrectly identified Gary as a snake handler. But I said, he, not like an Appalachian. And he said, herpetologist. It was like, that's it. <laughs> so he was actually a professional who uh, caught snakes in order to poison the snakes so that their venom could be used to produce um, anti-venom. Anti yeah, thank you. <laughs> Maybe it's not just my eyes that are getting fuzzy. <laughs> and, and so um, he determined that it wasn't venomous, but he, he trapped it and then he picked it up. 
and then he took it out to the lake and taught it to fly. <laughs> and today, Rabbi Yuri, yeah, if you didn't get your kids, you're way late. I'm serious, it's your responsibility, remember, every time. Your kids are still your kids, no matter what's going on in this room. We will pray for her too, yes. So Rabbi Yuri said, I bet every time you go into your office now, or go out of your office, you're gonna look down and I said, I think you're right. I think that conditioned me in one moment. <clears throat> we also wanna pray for Sandra Jakes who's suffering from abdominal and intestinal problems and couldn't be here with us today. So she's asking for prayer. So I wanna ask you right now just to join me in praying for these people, to take note of them, to keep notes, to Write their names down and keep track and keep praying for them because your prayer could be making the difference for them. It could change everything for them. And you may not even know one of these people, but your prayer may be guided by the Lord so that you're praying what he's looking for. And there could be a breakthrough, there could be protection, there could be safety, there could be resolution. So let's pray right now. I don't know who that is. Your mother. Okay, we'll pray for Patty's mom too. Yes. So all, let's, let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you for Yafa and we ask for a complete recovery. We thank you for Jane Dando and, and her heart and the, the new rhythm and for Haley and the rescue that you're giving to her. Thank you for Eric and his recovery. Thank you for Sandra Jakes. Bring her through this, Lord, and fortify her inner woman. Lord, we lift up Craig Wagner and pray for all of his health concerns, that he would have long life and strength. We lift up Mike Gordon and we pray, Lord, for renewal of his strength in all of his physical and uh, mental processing. Lord, we pray for Susan Fisk, for for recovery for her. Lord, we lift up Bob Cregan and we pray that he would come out of this pneumonia and that, that he would be able to return home with strength and vitality. We pray for Chris Dorman that you would heal the pain he's suffering from the shingles. We lift up Florence Woods and pray, heal her, Lord. Knit her back together after this extensive surgery. And Lord, I pray for myself and for the needs I have with my own eyes and the vitrectomy and the retinal surgery that I need. And Lord, we know this, you are not only the one who lifts up the falling, you heal the sick. But you are the healer. And we are not afraid to come before you and to ask for your healing to be released into our lives and the lives of those we've named. We pray for Patty's mom, Lord, for healing for her. And Lord, there are others right in the room who are saying, don't forget me. And we pray, Lord, that your mercy and your compassion would be released right now. And not only here, not only now, but for those who listen later and for those who have been 
part of this community in different ways. We pray, Lord, that you would send your healing power. You would heal the sick. Thank you, Lord. Do not let us slip away from you. We count on you holding on to us. We'll do our best, Lord. I pray for those who have given up because they have no more strength in themselves, but they know one thing and and their hearts say, yes, Lord, I am. I am hoping in you. And we offer disappointment and sorrow and, and hopelessness as our offerings to you, as our sacrifices. We say, Lord, renew our strength. Fortify us. We have no power or hope but you. Not by our strength and not by our power, but by your spirit. Lord, you are good and your mercy is forever. And we rejoice in every miracle that others have experienced, every breakthrough that others have received. We rejoice without reservation, with gladness. And we say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And we know this, Lord. We will not be ashamed. We will not be humiliated when we put our trust in you. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Let's close the service. You can rise. If you're standing by yourself, just move. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.